Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee faithfully served the Lord for more than seven decades, co-laboring with Watchman Nee in China in the first half of the 20th century, before continuing his ministry in Taiwan, later in America, and eventually over the entire earth. He spoke these weekly Life Study messages before thousands of people, and much of his speaking has been published as over 400 titles. These life studies are perhaps his most significant work, taking 21 years for him to complete, and we're happy today to be able to bring you selected portions from those messages. If you'd like to find out more about his ministry, about the life studies themselves, and Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org. Now let's join today's program. God's plan for our redemption required a full and complete sacrifice for our sins and transgressions. A spotless lamb was the type in the Old Testament until the real lamb of God would arrive on the scene to take away the sins of the people and satisfy God's righteous demands forever. Of course, as Christians, we know that Jesus Christ was such a perfect offering on our behalf. Of all the passages of Scripture that deal with the great reality of the Christian faith, None provide a more perfect and poetic narrative than chapter 53 in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. This prophecy was written some 700 years before Christ, yet the description is awesome in its detail of Christ offering himself for the transgressions and iniquities of mankind. Stay tuned for our second program on Isaiah 53 on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. We're going to bring you short, selected portions of Witness Lee's 1990 Life Study message from Isaiah today. And with us again in the studio to add his comments and fellowship is Dick Taylor. Dick, I'm happy that you could come back for this second program as well. We had a marvelous beginning, didn't we? We sure did. I'm glad to be in on this continuation. Dick, as we began to look at Isaiah 53 and we saw that Christ's death, in order to be effective as a sacrifice for our sins had to include some elements, three elements to be specific. First, God was pleased to subject Christ to this suffering of death. Second, Christ himself had to willingly offer himself. And third, he had to be sinless. This is really marvelous. Take a few minutes, Dick, and review this whole matter of his vicarious death. In a very simple way, Chris, vicarious indicates that Christ died a death for us. And he died for our redemption. He died in our place, in our stead. And we mentioned that there are three strong points to indicate his death was vicarious. Number one, God is the one who put him to death on our behalf for our redemption. Number two, Christ willingly died such a death And even in his death, you see his willingness because he interceded for us, the transgressors. This also indicates that his willingness was on our behalf. And number three, he was a perfect and sinless offering. How could he be a sin offering for us if he was not a spotless, perfect, sinless offering? So these three indicate that his dying a vicarious death, that is a death on our behalf, 
in our stead as our substitute, his death was really a vicarious death. Dick, as we come back to Isaiah 53 for our second look at it, we're going to focus on a couple of verses, particularly verses 10, 11, and 12. Before we join Witness Lee, would you read these verses for us? If you make his soul a trespass offering, he will see a seed. He will extend his days, and the pleasure of Jehovah will prosper in his hand. Because of the travail of his soul, he will see and he will be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide to him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong. Wonderful verses, Dick. Let's join Witness Lee. He will see a seed. A seed, that means a corporate seed. That is the church, comprising all the believers. You know, he was the one grain who dies to produce many grains. So he died in death just by himself. But he resurrected in resurrection with many grains. So First Peter tells us that we all, his believers, were resurrected with Christ. So he's Resurrection was very productive. He will see a seed that forms the church. He will extend his days. Do you know when you live today, this means he lives. He extends his days in living within us. Where Christ lives today? In his believers. So his believers are his extension. We are his continuation. As his continuation, we are his extension. He will extend his days, and the pleasure of Jehovah will prosper in his hand. Well, the uh, pleasure of God is to see many sons born of him. And uh, if Christ never died, and never from death went into resurrection. There's no way for God to regenerate us. Then all these sons of God become the members of Christ, which constitute the church as the corporate expression of God. This is the greatest pleasure to God. And this is all together depending upon Christ's death and resurrection. Because of travel of his soul, he will see and he will be satisfied. He will see what? The church. Just like Adam, when he woke up, he saw Eve there. Christ will be satisfied with the church. Dick, I think that we seldom give much thought to what pleases God because most of us are concerned primarily with our own pleasure and satisfaction. 
But this passage in Isaiah 53 very definitely mentions God's pleasure. Probably the simple or common thought is that God is pleased when we do good things and he's unhappy when we make mistakes. But, Dick, what is it that really brings pleasure and satisfaction to God? The pleasure of God is to see many sons born of him to become the members of Christ who constitute the church as the corporate expression of Christ. This is the real pleasure of Jehovah. This is the greatest pleasure to God, and it depends altogether on Christ's death and on his resurrection. There's a hymn that our dear brother Witness Lee wrote, and that is, We are thy continuation, thy life increase, and thy spread. God's pleasure is to see many sons born of him, to be the members of Christ, to be the increase of Christ, the continuation of Christ, and the spread of Christ. I'm reminded, Chris, of John 12, 24, where the Lord said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is where God's pleasure is. This very one who died a vicarious death also was raised in resurrection, and God's pleasure is to see the increase of his son in many sons, and that this one would continue, and this one would spread. This is what really satisfies God. What will Christ see? With what will he be satisfied? Christ will see the church and be satisfied with the church, just like Adam was satisfied when he saw Eve. So God's real pleasure is to see his son who died this precious, vicarious death continued, extended, reproduced, increased, enlarged, and spread as the many sons of God and the many members of Christ for his expression. This is God's real pleasure. 1 Peter 1.3 is also an excellent verse that indicates our Father, through his mercy, has regenerated all of us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By being regenerated through the resurrection of Christ, what have we become? We've become the church. We've become the continuation of Christ. We've become the spread of Christ and the increase of Christ. This is God's pleasure. God's pleasure is the church, the body of Christ, the increase of Christ. Dick, that's wonderful. Let's go back to Witness Lee for section two of our life study today. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, that means God's servant, will justify the many. By his knowledge, God's servant, Christ, will justify the many. Christ justifies us by his knowledge. Do you know this? Think about it. Christ justified us not in a foolish way, in a blind way, by his knowledge. <laughs> he justified us. Well, I must tell you this. It is very hard to say by his knowledge Christ justified us. Referring to what? Referring to his a limited knowledge. This indicates 
to be justified by Christ is a great thing. It's not a small thing. If it is a small thing, there's no need of any kind of discernment, any kind of castration. Do you think Christ was ignorant, was unknowledgeable? Whosoever come to him, he justifies. You think so? No. When he justified you, aha, uh-huh, he exercised his knowledge, his consideration, how much you will be related to God, how much you will affect the kingdom of God. So after all the considerations, according to his infinite knowledge, he justifies you and me. The decision is not to be made by us. The discernment, the judgment, it depends upon the head of the body. He, by his knowledge, by his knowledge, by his wise and complete, perfect discernment, he accepts us. He justifies us that simply means he accepted us. We got accepted by him with his knowledge. And he will bear their iniquities. He justified you by his knowledge. Surely he bears your iniquity. He is responsible in the heavenly court before God for you. Isaiah described, oh, the sin of Israel was heavy. But Christ made the decision to accept you, to justify you. He is willing to bear all your sins. Dick, I thought that this was a very touching and profound point, but one that I have to admit uh, I had overlooked until Witness Lee enlightened it in this last section. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Christ didn't just justify us in a casual or light way. This verse indicates he gave serious and careful consideration before saving us. This is really something, isn't it, Dick? It really is. I was thinking of another hymn that says this. Listen to this verse. Come and rejoice with me. I once, so sick at heart, have met the one who knows my case and knows the healing art. This Christ justified us, even having a full knowledge of us. You could say an infinite knowledge of us. He knows everything about us. But his justifying us was in the context of his knowledge. Another tremendous verse in the same song. Come and rejoice with me, for I found a friend who knows my heart's most secret depths yet loves me without end. This is quite a phrase. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Christ did not justify us foolishly or blindly, but according to his unlimited knowledge. That's wonderful. This indicates to be justified by Christ is not a small thing. To be justified by Christ is a great thing. 
because Christ has decided to justify us, to accept us, he's willing to bear all our sins. Yeah, Dick, this is very touching, isn't it, that his knowing is not just knowing our condition and what's in our heart, but even he has considered and contemplated what we are in his kingdom, in his infinite knowledge, hasn't he? He sure has. It's wonderful to see that he didn't justify us blindly or foolishly, but with much thought, not only much thought about us and our condition, but much thought related to his economy, his purpose, his kingdom, how we would fit, how we would function. His justifying us was an awesome matter. I mean, he looked at Chris. He didn't justify you in a light way, Chris. He realized exactly how you would fit and function in the body of Christ, what you would mean to him in the fulfillment of his eternal purpose, how you would be part of the preparation of his bride. Plus, he knows everything about you, all your shortages and everything. Yet this one, with the full and infinite knowledge, justified us in light of his knowledge and in the context of his knowledge. What an awesome justification by this wonderful Christ. Dick, we always need this kind of focus to keep these terms like justification and sanctification and redemption from just becoming theological knickknacks on our spiritual knowledge shelf. There is something so profound and magnificent when we see what is really behind these great spiritual truths, isn't there? There surely is. And just this term justification, justified means to be approved by God according to his standard of righteousness. He did this in this kind of infinite knowledge. What a context for justification. Well, after two days of uh, fellowship, we have one section left of Witness Lee sharing from Isaiah chapter 53. Let's join him now. Therefore, I will divide to him a portion with the great. I am his God. God will divide to Christ a portion with the great. Now, who is the great? And he will divide the spoil with the strong. Who is the strong? You tell me. This is God's word. Because Christ did that much. He did the uh, all-inclusive, vicarious deaths. And he did that reproductive resurrection. And he by his infinite knowledge, made the decision to accept that many believers. And he bore their iniquities. He did that many things, that much. So God said, therefore, I will divide to him a portion with the great. And he will divide the spoil with the strong. You have to read it carefully. I will divide to him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong. I will divide a portion, and he will divide the spoil. Here are two parties. This indicates what? <laughs> In the result of Christ's death and resurrection, he and God divide they produce. He and God divide the spoil. And you have to realize the great is just God. And uh, 
the, uh, the strong is also God. God says, I will divide him a portion with the great, that's me, that's God. And he will divide the spoil with the strong, also with me. So the two are the two parties to enjoy. Firstly, what was succeeded, what was gained, was a big what? A big enjoyment. Then God says, there's a portion. And that big enjoyment actually was a spoil. This indicates some fighting. Christ fought the war, and he gained the war, and he got the spoil. From whom he got the spoil? Satan. The entire New Jerusalem will be a spoil. Christ captured from the hand of Satan. On the one hand, the New Jerusalem is a great pleasure, a great enjoyment to God and to Christ. So they divide the portion. And on the other hand, New Jerusalem is altogether a spoil, a capture Christ did from Satan. Dick, following the victory that Christ won for God to redeem us back from our transgressions and iniquities, Christ gains a portion or a share in the spoils. This is a marvelous word. God and Christ together enjoying what they've gained. Dick, what is their ultimate portion? Their ultimate portion is the new Jerusalem. This word spoil is tremendous because it indicates there has been a war. Christ fought the battle, Christ gained the victory, and he took the spoil from Satan. The entire New Jerusalem will be a spoil captured by Christ from the hand of Satan. On one hand, the New Jerusalem will be a great pleasure, a great enjoyment shared by God in Christ. On the other hand, New Jerusalem is a spoil captured from Satan. What's the New Jerusalem? The New Jerusalem is the ultimate consummation of all of God's doing. And this ultimate consummation is the dispensing, processed, and consummated triune God blended and mingled with all of his chosen, redeemed, regenerated, transformed, and glorified tripartite people in the greatest oneness and holiest intimacy and ecstasy ever known in the entire universe. This is the consummation, this new Jerusalem, which is the spoil that they will be enjoying. This new Jerusalem is the secret of the universe because it's the divine romance. This is the story of the Bible, God falling in love with his people. And I guarantee you, Chris, there will be no boredom there because the new Jerusalem is just a matter of love. Hallelujah for this marvelous consummation of the entire Bible and revealed as the spoil that God and Christ would enjoy in Isaiah 53. Hallelujah for the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah for the new Jerusalem and this indescribable prophecy that we see from the prophet Isaiah so many hundreds of years ago. 
Wonderful. A magnificent unveiling. Well, Dick, you and I have had great pleasure, and Robert in the booth as well, bringing this broadcast, these two broadcasts from Isaiah 53. Uh, I'm speechless to give a right adjective, Dick, to describe this chapter in the scripture. What else can we say? Sweetest, best, top chapter. Let's use that. And Dick, we'll have you back for another program as we continue on in our journey through the marvelous book of Isaiah, the full unveiling of our Christ. For Dick Taylor today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.